love kids at this church. When we started this church, my daughter was, at one point, I think the only kid. And uh, it's come a long way. So I was able to baptize my daughter recently, my eldest. Just incredible. And I, I really celebrate a lot of what God has done in our kids' ministry. I got to say, um, it could be weird to, you know, send your kids into some space, especially when they're young. They haven't gone to school yet. We start going to school. We'll send them anywhere. When they're little, it's hard. But I just, I love how our kids' ministry, it just ministers. It's so great. Just values, um, security, creating a safe environment, full of the spirit. And uh, I think it's a really blessed opportunity. Can we just one last time, round of applause, all the parents this morning and families. Man. I just want to say thank you, aunts, uncles, and grandparents. I know it's not always easy changing up uh, your weekend and coming, and you're like, of course we would do it. And I, and I know, of course, you would do it. I just want to honor you, though, even though, of course, you would, you know, come and see this. I, I just want to honor you and say it means so much that multiple generations are represented in the house. And it means so much to these families. It means so much to us, even though I know you might have other uh, places that you'll be, you know, on other Sundays. But it just means so much uh, for these families that they just feel so supported by you. So I want to say thank you. Maybe you're not even, like, comfortable in a church space, but just thank you for being here. I really, really want to honor you. Um, we really want to honor you here this morning for being here. I'm really thankful for this season. If if you are newer here at Banner, then you, you might have heard us maybe briefly mention this idea of a fast. We just got done with 21 days of prayer and fasting. Just an awesome season. Yeah. You know God had to have moved because that's the only reason you cheer after 21 days of fasting. <laughs> uh, it was really a, a beautiful season as we prepared for Easter. For some of you, I know it's been really easy. I'm sorry, can I have my coffee? Someone grab me. Thank you. Thank you, G. Gianna's our executive pastor. She does an amazing job. She's a champ. She's incredible. I know for some of you guys it's been really difficult. And I, I know that for everyone it's been revealing. If you did the fast, it was revealing. Right? When the people of God fast, there's always a time of revealing. Did you know that? Before, that there, can, before there can be breakthrough, there has to be revealing. Before there can be breakthrough, there has to be revealing. Amen? Before darkness can be destroyed, what has to come in? The light. Yeah, exactly, the light. What's the opposite of death? Life. Scripture says Jesus is the light of the world, right? He's the life, Scripture says, that came to bring light. Jesus illuminates and then he brings victory. How many of you in this season had something of your life illuminated? Right? Anyone? Amen? We're still here? Amen. As a church, I really believe that we're entering into a season of breakthrough. Because we've been hungry, right? And we've gone and we've sought the Lord and we've fasted. And he's begun to reveal things in us and through us and to us. And now we're really led to this precipice, this step forward as a church where we're called to go into the afterward. The prophet Joel called for a fast. God said, call for a fast, a solemn assembly, and afterward I'll pour out my spirit. He reveals and then there's breakthrough. There has to be a revealing before there can be breakthrough. After light reveals, life explodes. When the dawn breaks, the plants bloom. 
That's how it works. And so I just want to ask you a simple question. Are you ready, church? Are you ready for the afterward? We're going to be sharing some testimonies over the next couple weeks. So if you're not ready yet, don't worry, you will be. God is moving. We're seeking his face. And uh, speaking of revealing, let's just turn to the word. If you would, would you just open your Bible with me to 1 Samuel 24? I'm going to read to you out of the NIV. This is my father's Bible. And uh, it's a life application Bible, and it's pretty beat up. It's got some marks uh, from, you know, chew marks from a dog that's no longer with us. Uh, but I, I had this out this week, and it's it feels like a legacy item for my family. There's parts of this book that are stained and underlined and underlined again, and there's tear stains in this Bible that really strike me about my father because I know that God came from my family. And when I read it, something really, it just hits me in, in this space with this Bible. And I know, man, the Bible app's amazing. I love the Bible app. But there's just something about a physical Bible that feels so near. Man, I want to tell you, if you don't have a physical Bible, I'll get you one. Come talk to me. We'll hook it up. Because there's something about the Word of God. When I move out of the digital space into the physical, right? The, the digital seems like the Word's far away. Man, when I, when I turn a page, I'm like, look right there. There's tear stains upon. I'll never leave you and forsake you. There's something that stands out to me about the Word of God. How many of you know the Word of God is powerful? Amen? The Word of God is powerful. Are you ready to receive the Word today? Man, there's power in it. Let's do this. We've been sitting for a minute, so I want to do this. I want to pray together to ready our hearts. But could we, for, for those who are physically able, would you just stand with me? We're going to pray this morning. If you need to, because you've been sitting for a minute, shake your arms out. Move your legs. Whatever you need to do, get ready. Then I just invite you, just put your arms out in a posture receiving. And here's our prayer, Lord. God, make our hearts ready for your word. We long for your word to speak to us and transform us. We didn't come to be just impressed or convinced. We didn't come to be informed. We came to be transformed by your word. So we say, Lord, make our hearts ready because your word's powerful. It's alive. We surrender. God, not only do we lift our hands to receive, but to surrender. Say, we're here for you. Somebody say, I'm here for you, Jesus. Amen. Turn to your neighbor before you sit down and say, I'm glad I'm here this morning. Awesome, 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 awesome. I know uh, I'm going to be so respectful to time this morning because I know how uncomfortable those chairs are. And I know there's babies. But here's what I want to say. Even if you've got to stand at some point in the sermon or kneel, there's a word that I feel like God wants to speak. And I want to encourage you, don't miss it. First five minutes of my message, go pee then. But the last five, don't go pee then. You're going to miss something. Right? There's something God wants to do. He wants to do it this morning. Do you believe that, church? Or a church that believes it? First Samuel uh, 24. I don't know if I said 17, 20. It should be 24. <laughs> let, me, let me get there. Man, did I put the wrong thing up here? Oh, you know what? I apologize. There's a lot going on in my mind. I'm in Second Samuel. Man, even the pastor makes mistakes, right? If you only knew. <laughs> Verse 1. Are you there? Are you, are you with me? We're good? We're still good this morning? Good. After Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told David is in the desert of En Gedi. 
So, tall, so Saul took 3,000 chosen men from Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. Crags of the wild goats. Sounds like a Fleet Foxes album. Let's pause there. He's in, he's in En Gedi. David has fled Saul. We talked a little bit about that relationship that week. We're not going to rehash it, but it's on YouTube. If you're online and you want to get into that before you get into this, just jump back one and then come back. We'll still be here because you're on the internet. But David is fleeing from Saul and he's hiding in a caved area. And, and the cave area of En Gedi uh, isn't like a spelunking type cave. It's these massive caverns. Some of them could hold thousands of people. And in this case, they're holding about 600 people. That's a lot of people, yes? 600 dudes in a cave is a lot of dudes in a cave. I don't know what the ventilation situation is, but it would be subprime. I'm only assuming. And so previously, David had been anointed king, though it not declared, but he'd been anointed king by Samuel because the anointing of God had left Saul because God would not follow, or Saul would not follow God. It's, it's a wild dynamic when you begin to understand Jesus Christ and you begin to understand the resistance that he met with the leadership is that Saul was anointed and chosen by God because the people wanted a leader and he was given the principles and trusted to lead the people of God and yet he refused to serve them. And then along comes the rightful King David out of the line of Jesse and the King David, uh, Saul, the, the leader who had fallen away from truly following God desires to kill the leader whom God had sent through the line of Jesse which is wild when you begin to look at Jesus and you see the leadership that had been set there in the priesthood had fallen away from truly leading the people nearer to God and yet through the line of Jesse comes Jesus Christ and the leadership pre-existent wants to kill Jesus Christ. Are you still with me? That part was free. But verse three, here's what he says. It says, he came to the sheep pens along the way. That's... <clears throat> Saul. Saul came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there, and Saul went in to relieve himself. That needs no interpretation. It says, David and his men were far back in the cave. And the men said, <coughs> look at what the men say. This is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I'll give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. And so then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. What do the men say? The men say, this is the day that the Lord has given your enemy into your hands, right? This is the day the Lord's spoken of. I love this because nowhere is that spoken of. And the men are, are interpreting what has been spoken over Jonathan or, or over David through Jonathan and through Samuel. They're interpreting what has happened and it's an understandable interpretation. They're saying, look, David, you were anointed king. Look, Saul has tried to kill us. Look, his, his pants are down, not even metaphorically, <laughs> right? Here he is in a cave. This is our moment. David, you have written like a hundred songs about how you're being pursued. Kind of feels like God is answering your prayers. If I was in the cave, I'm going to be 100% honest with you. I'm team David's men. Like, we got to smoke this dude. Maybe it's, I've just watched too many action films. Picture Arnold Schwarzenegger emerging from the darkness and just, poof, and just back in the darkness, right? One scream and the foot drags in, right? That's where my brain goes. I'm just being honest. Can we be honest in church? Is that okay? Being honest with you. That's where my mind goes. So I'm not saying that they're 
they're uh, bad guys. I'm just saying they're inter this was their interpretation because Saul was a bad leader. He was a terrible leader. He was a violent leader. He was a murderous leader. He was an adulterous leader. I mean, to be honest, in our modern culture, they would probably say something like, he's an oppressor. And so not only is it okay, but it would be our duty to take action against him. Where like modern culture would be like, we're defeating tyranny or enacting justice. And they, they would justify, hey, you got to do something about this guy. God's given the opportunity. But David doesn't follow that advice. He takes a totally different path. David is a man after God's own heart. Yes, David was anointed to be king over Israel, to lead the kingdom of Israel. But he had a greater recognition of Israel's submission and his submission to the kingdom of God, to Yahweh and to Yahweh's law. And so it says he crept forward and he cut off a piece of his robe. Are you still with me this morning? Look what happens in verse 5. I might not have highlighted this, so if it's not on the screen, I apologize. But I'll read it to you. You can receive it or read it in your word. It says, afterward, after he cuts off the rope, David <coughs> was conscience stricken for having cut off a corner of Saul's robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lift my hand against him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. And with these words, David rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went on his way. To us, it might seem odd or maybe a little goody two-shoesy that David is upset about cutting the robe, right? But royal garments have meaning. Royal garments have meaning. If you saw someone even today wearing a crown and like a really expensive robe, you would have thoughts about them. They're either crazy or they're royalty. Like, right? Probably both. <laughs> so by cutting a piece, follow me here, by cutting a piece of the robe, he's stealing a bite of the mantle that was promised. Why is that an issue? Well, in verse 5, we don't know if he's going to kill him or not. He went to get a piece of robe, maybe because he's trying to see if it's doable, how close he can get. We know he tries that other times. But we know that when he cuts the robe, his heart was stricken. He was conscious stricken. It literally says he was struck to his heart, and he said, we're not going to go kill him. Why? Why does he rebuke his men? Because David is recognizing that though in my flesh this makes sense, there's something about this that is not Yahweh and this is not kingdom. Follow me here, church. Living kingdom, living for Yahweh, will always have you living different than the world. Yes, Saul was an awful ruler. David is not supporting poor leadership. He's not making a principle for all leaders. What he's saying is, even though the world would justify the response, this is not the way that Yahweh has ordained it to go. How can I begin my reign as king by murdering the one God has still had in the place of king? And until he tells me that I'm to be involved in the removal of his role as king, I'm not going to force his hand, right? So what happens? Verse 8. Is the Word of God good? Let's go to verse 8 together. I think if we just read the Word of God, it, it, would, it would be enough even that. It says, Then David went out of the cave and called out to Saul, My Lord the King. You know, this is the longest amount of words in a row we have of either David or Saul. This is the biggest portion of their speaking, other than David, you know, in the Psalms. So, My Lord the King, when Saul looked 
behind him, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. That's a wild move, right? That's a wild move, right? Prostrated him. He laid on the ground in front of him. This guy's been trying to kill him. He lays on the ground. He'd be like, this has no technical or strategic advantage. Why is he doing this? Well, follow me. He said to Saul, why do you listen when men say David has been on harming you? This day you've seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lift my hand against my master because he's the Lord's anointed. See, my father, look at that term of endearment. Why is he being respectful to him? He could have been like, listen, turd. <laughs> Maybe our culture's not getting everything right when it comes to respect. See, my father, look at this piece of your robe in my hand. I cut off the corner of your robe, but did not kill you. Now understand and recognize that I'm not guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I've not wronged you, but you're hunting me down to take my life. He says, verse 12, may the Lord judge between you and me. And may the Lord, follow me here, avenge the wrongs you've done to me. But my hand will not touch you. As the old saying goes, from evildoers comes evil deeds. So my hand will not touch you. From evildoers comes what kind of deeds? Evil deeds, but I will not touch you. For many, this approach to responding to poor leadership is incredibly bothersome. Be honest. It feels unjust. <clears throat> I mean, Saul goes back to the palace, right? David is still in the wilderness, right? Yes? Are we here? Yes, he's still in the wilderness. It seems to lack justice. It seems to lack, it seems to be kind of weak. Be honest, yes? It's kind of like pacifism embodied. But David was hardly weak or pacifist. He killed hundreds of thousands of people, tens of thousands by his own hand. It's hardly a pacifistic approach to life. Agreed? He was pretty hardcore. Rip lion's face in half. It's awesome. It's awesome. I'm sorry. I just watched Conan the Barbarian the other night. Not even, doesn't even touch David, the shepherd, right? Bro's ripping lions in half. Come on. So what is this then? It's that David did something incredibly strong and spiritually mature. Rather than vindicate him himself, follow me here, he trusted in God and honored a leader even though it was a bad one. The condition of the leader does not define the condition of God's character and respect. He didn't approve or support the behavior of Saul, nor did he stay in an abusive relationship. He left, amen? If you're saying, pastor is saying, I gotta stay in an abusive, no, right? But when the moment came to act as the world would, and he was encouraged by his friends, he asked the question, is this what God wants? Remember, he, the Spirit is upon him. Remember that? If you were here before, remember when he's anointed, the Spirit came upon David? The Spirit's still there? See, the problem in much of modern Christianity is that we've taken the positive aspects of advocating for justice and we've attached them to the cultural ideas of self-vindication and self-promotion. How many relationships have been ended because somebody had to be right? Amen. <laughs> Babies know. They know when it's a good point. Maybe I'll say it again. How many relationships? Thank you, baby. Love you. We'd be friends. I don't, I don't know who it was, but you seem rad. How many relationships are ended because someone had to be right? 
How many marriages crumble because somebody felt owed something? So they took their portion bite by bite, year, from, year over year from their spouse until their spouse was the husk of the person that remained. Why? Because we've married this sense of I've suffered an injustice and I must vindicate myself. That is right, according to culture. How many working environments have been made toxic because a bad manager made things tough and that little fire in us, that little petty fire, how many of you can get real petty real fast? Be honest, come on. Where am I? People who got in trouble at school all the time for a smart mouth. You know where we are, we're right here preaching, right? <laughs> learn to fight or learn to be fast. That's it, right? But be honest, then you became an adult and made things worse. How many believers are living in bitterness though they preach forgiveness and freedom? Because although Jesus told us we'd suffer in this world, we're angry that he was right. For many, the ideas of responding as David did sounds frustrating, but can I tell you that kingdom is the key to freedom? Always has been, always will be. All of us will suffer poor leaders. Intentional or unintentional. Sometimes I'm a poor leader unintentionally. You don't have to amen that. <laughs> but I know in your heart, you know it's true, and I know it's true. I'm big enough to admit that. Right? we got to suffer bad presidents, bad congressmen, bad bosses, bad teachers. This goes on. It's not the point. The point is that the kingdom of earth is shouting, get your vindication. But we don't live according to this kingdom. We might dwell in an earthly kingdom, but we're under the banner, the standard of a heavenly kingdom, God's kingdom. Right? We're under God's principles, his characters, his plans, his power. Amen? Because we're followers of Jesus. And whether our choices, according to God's plan, enrage or enrich people's attitudes towards us, the reality should be the same. Are we revealing Jesus Christ? Is this what Yahweh would want? When Jesus uh, stood before the government that was going to kill him, I love this, because I'd be so incensed if I'm Jesus. Like, I've done nothing but be awesome. Pretty much the best that anyone's ever been, right? And you guys, right? That's what I, that's how I'd feel because I'm broken. But Jesus is perfect. Here's what Jesus says. Standing before the government, they say, tell us. They say you're a king. What are you? He says, my kingdom's not of this world. It's a wild thing to tell somebody who lives in the world. <laughs> if my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom's not from the world. Jesus stood before the government. He knows, right, his death is coming. And he very boldly tells them, respectfully but boldly, you need to understand the positions of how things are. His kingdom, follow me, that you and I are a part of, that we're heirs of, is not separate from earthly government. It's above all government, right? Yet on this earth, follow me on this one too, we're also submitted to various forms of earthly government. Jesus teaches kingdom, repent for the kingdom is near but he also teaches to follow government. Let me explain. If you brought your Bibles, do this. Jump with me to Mark 12. Can we jump there real quick? Mark 12, verse 13. If you're looking for it, it's kind of near the end. It's uh, middle adjacent. Matthew, Mark. So if you go to the New Testament, maybe you have a track, just New Testament. Matthew 12. Everyone still doing okay? Okay. If you move around, you won't bother me. I love you. I just think God wants to do something here. You think God's speaking through his word today? Remember our question, how do we respond as Jesus would, as Yahweh wants us to? That's where we still are. Don't worry. Mark 12, verse 13. Later, 
the religious leaders, they sent some of the Pharisees and the Herodians to Jesus to catch him in his words. They came to him and said, teacher, we know you're a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by men because you pay no attention to who they are, but you're the teacher of the way of God in accordance with the truth, right? They're setting him up. That's too many compliments from these guys. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? There it is. Follow me. Everyone get, do you hear that? Is Say yes if you heard it. Is it right? Come on, questions on taxes. If you want to get, all right, anyone hate taxes? Come on, be honest. Yeah, taxes are dumb. Let's go, right? We're all, it's 2,000 years ago. We're all still on the same page. We're like, yeah, I'm fired up, Jesus. Give me a good answer on taxes. Be honest, right? You're like, what are these am I going to pay? Pay your taxes. He says, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? But Jesus knew their, what, what does that word say? Someone say, hypocrisy. He says, why are you trying to trap me? He asked. Bring me a denarius. Let me look at it, a coin. And they brought him the coin. And he asked them, whose portrait is this? Whose inscription? They said, Caesar's. And Jesus said to them, give to Caesar what's Caesar. Give to God's what is God's. And they were amazed at him. So they want to trap him. Because if he says, you need to pay taxes, then he is admitting authority of a government that has a false seat over Judea, the Roman government. So Caesar's not in charge, you know, at this time. It's the, you know, it's, it's the empire of Rome. And he's, you know, on the coin. And it's, it's admitting the control. And that would have infuriated people. But if he says don't pay taxes, then he's a rebel and a zealot. And the Jewish zealots of, of who were fueled by this were famous for a couple things. One, not paying taxes. And two, starting revolutions. And they always failed. And they'd ride into the temple. And they'd cleanse the temple. And everyone would go, ooh, this looks like the guy. And then they'd be beaten to death and crucified. And it wouldn't be the guy. Or they would be, you know, cut in half or all these horrible things would happen to them. So Jesus has a question of response. So Jesus is so wise. You know, Jesus is wise, right? He says, give to the government what's theirs. Give to God's what's his. Jesus is not separating political and spiritual life. Jesus is recognizing the legitimacy of human government that there will be government you need to interact with, that there will be governing leaders on this earth, while also clearly establishing that God is above all governments. Give to God's what is God's. What's God's? What was it? Yeah, exactly. We got some seasoned saints in here with some biblical knowledge. What is it? Everything. Thank you. Amazing. You guys got to come every week and bring the heat. That's great. He's establishing that God's is above everything. I want to read you. Can, can we handle one more scripture? we can do it? Okay, let's go to Romans 13. I know you walked into a church today that reads the Word of God, but you know what? We were tired of feeding you milk, so we moved on. Yeah, bro, you got to come every week. I like you. You're moving here. Yeah, we got to, so find, Gianna, find him a job. (laughs) All right, chapter 13, verse 1. We're going to mess some things up right now, but also going to have some ammo for that weird anarchist socialist friend who's always bugging you about the Word of God. You ready? Here it is. I know. I hate that guy too. <laughs> Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except that which God has established. Man, these are some hard verses, but we're gonna, we're gonna, I'm going to explain. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want 
to be free from fear of the one in authority, fine, then do what's right, or then do what is right, and he will condemn, he will commend you. <coughs> Sorry. For he is God's servant to do good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword for nothing. He's God's servant and agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it's necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because the possible punishment, but also because of the because of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes. For the authorities of God are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. This is a really unique set of verses that we could probably do a whole series on. And as somebody who considers themselves incredibly patriotic in their bent, this is a unique one for me to navigate all the time, right? What does this mean? What is Paul saying? My favorite thing about Scripture is all Scripture is interpreted in light of all Scripture. And unfortunately, this has been isolated to use it as a tool for justifying despotism or even worse, avoidant pacifism. They say, look, you have to suffer terrible leaders because Paul said, submit. And I want to encourage you, when the Bible calls us to submit, it's not calling us to submit to abuse. When the Bible says, wives, submit to your husbands, it's not saying submit to abuse. It's not justifying unrighteous behavior. It's commending principles of the kingdom that are true even here on earth. Okay, stay with me. Paul wrote this as a Roman, right? Paul's a Roman, and Paul was a Jew, right? It's a Roman Jew, really unique place. And he's writing knowing that the Roman Jews are mistreated and that the Roman Jews at this time are causing an incredible amount of trouble for the Roman government. They said, listen, uh, Paul, you told us we're part of the kingdom, so we're done with the Romans, dude. And he's like, well, <laughs> that's going to lead to some bigger problems. Are they oppressing? He's like, well, no, but we, we know we're part of the kingdom. We don't want to pay our taxes anymore. We don't want to be involved in the system anymore. And and so Paul is not saying to ignore the negative or the horrific actions of bad leaders. And he's not covering every eventuality. It's like, okay, well, if I didn't elect this president, I think it was so, what do we do? He's not covering every eventuality. He's teaching kingdom principles to live under. See, this is the problem in the modern church is we give points based on every eventuality. Then the eventualities change. We got to give more points. Instead, we need to preach kingdom living so that in all circumstances, we can glorify Yahweh and live according to Yeshua, Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit so that we're not arguing minutia while the system continues to change. They just move the goalposts, but the kingdom never changes. So Paul is saying, I'm laying down the conditions for living in a normal state, meaning Christians aren't just free to obey or not obey duly constituted authority just as you please. He's advocating against anarchy. Chaos equals bad for you, Jewish people, because if you revolt, you're going to have a problem. He said, but if you stand for what's true, we're going to see transformation. Submission to authority is a good thing, but I want to tag it. As much as leadership is respected, it's never elevated above God. And, and remember, Paul's writing this in Romans, and the early church is being persecuted, right? Have you ever read, read the, the New Testament epistles? Even go, go back, go, go to Acts. Right? They're just constantly getting persecuted. The church launches because the guy gets stoned to death, right? You'll never find that in a church launch strategy. You go to a church launch, church planners conference, it's not going to be like, let one of your deacons get stoned to death. It's going to send them, bro. Trust me. It's never going to happen. But that's how the church, so the church was accustomed to persecution, yeah? We still good? Okay. 
We're getting right here to the important bit. Don't miss this last part. It's an important part. Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. The early church suffered greatly. Paul knew this. He was beaten, flogged, imprisoned. He was killed a couple times, brought back to life, walked back into the city, continued to preach, fully aware. But that's a consistent reality for those who are part of the kingdom, all the way back to the Old Testament. Daniel, right? Government turns against his people. He prays. They say, no, we don't like that. Throw him in the lion's den. Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego refuse to bow. They throw him in the fire. Who is in the fire? Does anyone remember? Jesus was in the fire. What's more powerful? Coming with the sword against the emperor so you don't bow? Or living through actual fire with Jesus Christ? The fire bit is sick, right? <laughs> That's way cooler. That's way stronger. How about Esther? Goes before the king to free your people. It's the same principle. And here's the principle. You ready? If you're taking notes, write this down. Submitting to Christ above all while respecting the office of, offices of authority is righteous but costly. I'm not going to sell you easy here in this moment. It's righteous, but it is costly. There's a great story. Do we have just a second for a story? Okay. This is a good one. You might not have heard this. Gladiators. How many of you have seen Gladiator? Awesome. Okay. I wish that's how the, the, the Colosseum and the Gladiator games went down, but it's not. Here's how it went. You ready for this? There was a monk named Telemarchus. Somebody say Telemarchus. And he was led by God after the empire had come through and conquered portions of northern Italy. And he was led by God. He was led by God to the Colosseum. And he goes in and he sees the gladiator games happen. And he sees a man wounded and falling down. And the crowd is chanting, kill him, kill him, kill him, kill him, as they did. And he jumps in. He jumps in. Telemachus jumps in. And he shouts to the crowd. It's debatable exactly what he shouts, but it's somewhere in the lines of, in the name of Christ, stop. And as he's shouting and declaring the truth of God, someone comes up and stabs him through the chest. Ridiculous, right? I mean, ridiculous. And yet, the son of the emperor who becomes the emperor just three years later is so moved by this that he disbands gladiator games for the final time. Eventually, Rome is invaded. Follow me here. Gladiator games did not end because someone took up a sword. They end because someone took up a cross. Are you with me? That's called kingdom. Are you with me? We bred in too much stoicism and self-indication into a religion that was founded by someone who was hung upon a cross. Are you with me? Oh, I'm going to wake somebody up here. This is our last five minutes. I'm going to wake somebody up in the last five minutes because I'm just going to hurt your religion here for a moment so I can build your relationship with Jesus Christ. It was founded, our religion was founded by Jesus Christ, Yeshua. God is my salvation because he hung upon a cross. Was he victorious? Yes. Is he mighty? Yes. But what came first? Humility. Death. David's in the cave. His men are urging him. They're saying, get rid of him. This is the time. Killing him was the easy way. Being righteous was the costly way. David is still on the run, but he knew regardless of the cost, he had to follow the heart of God. Let me ask, when does respect look like cutting the robe? When does respect look like taking down the king? And when does respect look like suffering for, for, for the good of the glory of the kingdom? 
I'm gonna give you the principle right here. You ready? It's gonna be long, but it's a slide, so I want you to write it down. The choice, follow me here. This is the philosopher part of me. This is a long point. Not a very good TikTok pastor. Too much philosopher. <laughs> but follow me here. Can we just right here? This is it. We're landing it. Band, you can come up so everyone knows we're landing it, and I'll know. The choice of whether we must resist authority or suffer persecutions must be guided by the leading of the Holy Spirit in accordance with the word of God, not by the desires of man. If I had to stand up and lead a nation or a movement, well, we are leading a movement. This is what I would say to you. We're going to have to rise up against the principles of the world. Are you ready? Are you ready, church? Right? We joke, oh, they're coming for your children. They've already come. The choice of whether we must resist authority or suffer persecution must be guided by the leading of the Holy Spirit in accordance with the word of God, not by the desires of man. Jesus said, or Paul says in Romans, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Verse 19 says, do not take revenge, but leave room for God's wrath. For it's written, it's mine to avenge. I'll repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Can we put that line up? I want to see this line. Do not be overcome by what? But overcome evil with what? David said, evildoers do what? David said, evildoers do what? They do evil. But we're not called to do evil. We're called to overcome evil with what? Somebody. Good. See, what the Jews were expecting when Jesus came was short-sighted vindication. Ride in, cleanse the temple, destroy these Romans, vindicate us the way we feel that we should. And instead, he came in riding a donkey, and they nailed him to a cross with a bunch of thieves. Yeah, whatever, whatever Christian's saying. Can I just tell you something, church? This is it. Hope your heart's ready. When we come face to face with Jesus, our hearts are illuminated to the truth that we follow a God who gave everything for us and calls us to follow him in the same way. We cannot escape. As followers of Christ, we cannot escape his body that was whipped, beaten, torn, and broken for us. We cannot miss when we truly come face to face with Jesus. We cannot miss his blood flowing from his wounds where he was pierced. We cannot ignore the rugged cross where he was nailed for our sins. We cannot erase his words. You remember his words? Forgive them for they know not what they do. You remember? We cannot forget that he rose again to bring us resurrection life. We must stare into the face of a loving Savior that is mighty and is meek, who makes the sun rise on the wicked and the just, who's our fortress and our salvation. And in coming face to face with Jesus, in receiving such great mercy and salvation, we must pick up our cross, and in picking up our cross, we must lay down our crown. The way for David towards royalty and kingship was submission, not vindication. He had to lay down his vengeance. He had to lay down his offense. He had to lay down his bitterness. He had to truly trust in God and be led by the Spirit. And for those today of us, church, church, we want to live kingdom. 
And if we want to live kingdom, we have to lay down our crown, the crown of pride, the crown of vindication. In our relationships, in our government, in our jobs, in our situations, we lay down our lives in submission and we seek the Spirit by Christ. Can I just say, church, look at this nation. Have you looked recently? Look at the president and Congress. We get a war like every four and a half seconds. Look at the state of gender, sexuality, poverty, family, immigration, violence. And as churches and Christians, our responses have been simply that, responses, reactions. And yet we've been given the gift by the Holy Spirit of what? Prophecy. To know the heart of God. And God is speaking. Listen, I don't want to give you an answer to every scenario. Here's the answer. Go to Jesus on your face and receive from him. Fall on your face before Jesus and say, lead me. So that when I speak, it's the Lord speaking. It's the word speaking. When I resist, it's for heavenly truth, not earthly offense. When I suffer for, for when I'm persecuted, it's as Jesus suffered, to share in his glory, to share in his suffering. When I encounter bad leaders, I do so with respect as a ministry of the cross, that it might heat burning coals on their head. From evildoers come evil deeds, but I will not be overcome by evil. I will overcome evil with good. Church, we need to overcome evil with good. We need to be near to Christ. So word of John the Baptist said, he must become greater. I must become less. I know we're like, we got to elevate this voice. We got to make this declaration. Before we do that, we need to become low. We have to enter a posture of less of me, more of you, less of my flesh, more of the spirit. That's the only way. Are you still with me? This is it. This is the end. This is the moment for you. This is the only way we can hear from the Spirit what to do in this nation, in our families, in this time, is we must fall on our face before God. You cannot fake it. You cannot fake an encounter with Jesus. You cannot fake time with the Spirit. It is fall on our face, become small in our own eyes, be quiet enough in our own spirit that we'll, we hear Him. And as He speaks, He's revealing how do we respond to leaders of every shape and size and ability? How do we respect the office of leadership, but as citizens of kingdom, promote and support something greater than the earthly authorities? We have to begin on our face. We have to begin becoming small so that God can make his way great. Do this with me. Would you stand? I want to respond in two ways, kind of unique today. We're going to get you moving here at the end. How many of you, Banner family, you know we love the altar, amen? Oh, come on, we, we stood here, ready? Oh, there we go, feel it? How do you know we love the altar? Why do we love the altar? Well, this carpet isn't better or even cleaner than the carpet back there. Why do we love the altar? We love the altar because there's a moment of transformation that occurs when the people of God come together and believe. Whenever we surrender, it stirs something in us ready for a move of God, right? Altar is a place of surrender, though we're not bringing things to, to burn on an altar. We're just bringing our heart in a moment to Him, to the altar. If anything, we're sacrificing our heart. There's two things. Would you bow your head with me? We're going to respond in just a moment with communion, but before we do, there's a place we need to go first. And it's for those who are not part of the kingdom of God. I want to encourage you that the time is now. 
Scripture says an hour will come where, where the gate will close and time will be up. But I want to encourage you, today is not the day that time is up. Today is the day of freedom. It's the day of hope for every future. And it's the day of healing for every past by Jesus Christ. Scripture says, right, that all who call in the name of the Lord will be saved. If you're not a part of God's kingdom, you've been navigating this earthly kingdom without being part of God's kingdom. I, I'm just amazed you can make that happen because it's so hard and it's so lonely. And But Christ is inviting you into this space of engaging with his kingdom and receiving eternal life. If you would, repent of your sins and receive salvation through him. So we're going to do this with your eyes closed, your head bowed if you're here. And you're ready to say, Jesus, I need you as my Lord and Savior. I don't know if there'll be another moment, to be honest, who knows. But I know there's this moment. Jesus, I need you as my Lord and Savior. Some even waiting, because you're counting on there being another moment. But you need to stop counting. You start surrendering your heart. Not as a conviction to you, but because Jesus loves you so deeply that he longs for you to experience freedom and power through him. So if that's you and you say, Jesus, I'm here to commit my life in this moment to you, to say yes to Jesus, I'm just gonna invite you right now. Just lift your hand. I'm saying yes to Jesus. Amen. I'm gonna add here as well. If you have walked far from Jesus, you know Jesus, but you've walked far, but you're here to say, God, I'm coming back into your kingdom, into that space with you. You say, Jesus, it's not the first time, but I'm returning to you. And this is my moment. I don't know if there'll be another moment, but this is my moment to return to you. Would you lift your hand? Just say, Jesus, I'm returning to you. Thank you. I want to pray for you. Can we pray together this morning, church? We're going to come to the table to close out, but I want to pray together. I appreciate, man, you guys are just such an incredible church, such incredible people, hungry for the word. Amen. I just, I love sharing the word of God with you guys. It's just the honor of my life. But I want to pray for you today, if you're new. And if we could all just repeat together to empower those who are new to this, if you would just repeat after me and say, Dear Jesus, I thank you for your love. Thank you for dying for me, for taking my sins upon the cross. I repent of all sin and unrighteousness and receive from you the resurrection and life. Thank you for your love and your name. Amen. Can we celebrate the Lord today? Okay, we're going to have a response time. Are you ready? Ready to just move for a second? Okay. Here's the response. It's twofold. One, we have communion here. The table is incredibly powerful. How many of you know the table is powerful? These symbols, the bread and the cup, they represent the body and blood of Jesus. The Jesus on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread, he said, this is my body, it's broken for you. He took the cup, he said, this is my blood that's shed for you. In fact, this moment is so important. Scripture tells us that those who had not surrendered their heart to God, who had either unconfessed sin or had not received him as their Lord and Savior, took communion and fell ill. So this is not, if you've not confessed Jesus, your Lord and Savior, I really want to encourage you to just participate in another way. But for those who believe and who have confessed, this is for you. But I want to encourage you that the opposite is also true. That those who have received, and even right now, if you're on your way down the aisle, and you're like, Jesus, I give you my heart, right? <laughs> Receive. 
But just as is there illness for those who, who, who wouldn't, there's also healing for those who have given their heart to Jesus. That as you receive of the table, it's not a separate moment than worship. It is worship. It's a sacrament. And as we receive the sacrament, I want to encourage you that there's a response. And so what's going to happen is our prayer team is going to be right here. So we have communion, we have prayer team. And as you come forward, you'll come down this way. If you want, you can go this way. You can slide by people. There's plenty of room. And you can come and receive communion. And as you sense, if God is beginning to work, maybe a healing work or a stirring work, then I want you to just come from receiving communion and to receive prayer. Are you with me? I hope that's making sense. If it doesn't, Pastor Barry will help. I don't know where he went. He's somewhere running around. Right there. Perfect. Awesome. He'll help you. If you're like, I need to pray before I can receive communion, fine. We don't care. Skip the line. It's fine. But there's a work God wants to do. Amen? We sense it in prayer. I sense it now. There's a work God wants to do. And I know we're all little Marthas in our spirit. We've got to run to the next task. But we're going to be married for a second at the feet of Jesus. We're going to see him transform. You ready? Right? One worked. One sat at the feet. One received the glory. Right? We're going to do that together today. And so here's what you're going to do. You're going to come down. You're going to receive the bread. And when you receive the bread, just hear, this is my body broken for you. And just take the bread right there. Then come and receive the cup. Just take the cup right there. This is my blood that's for you, okay? I'm going to release you in just a moment. You ready? We're going to worship. So if you're like, I'm in my seat, am I going to feel awkward? No, because we're just going to be worshiping. Cool? We're going to be in presence together, okay? And I know it's Western Church, so as soon as I release this moment, some of you are like, i got to get out of here. But you know what? I just encourage you. There's a Holy Spirit moment. And however, however much time you have, I just encourage you to press into that because God wants to do something. Amen? Amen. Prayer team, why don't you just you can come up here right now. Let's pray. And I'm going to release you. The band's going to do their thing. Awesome job, band. Before I, pray, before I release you, i got to say one more thing. If you're physically unable to come forward for communion, but you would like to receive communion, will you raise your hand when I, once I'm done praying and just wave it, and one of our team will come get you communion and bring it to you, okay? Okay, thank you. Let's pray. Jesus, are we ready to pray? Yeah, we're ready. Jesus, we're here for you. We know there's a work you're going to do as we become small in our eyes and we make you great in this place. God, we thank you that the response is less of me and more of you. Come on, if you're agreement, let's just begin into that place of prayer. Man, you guys can play. Lead us in worship, would you? God, we pray right now in this space, more of you, less of us. Stir our hearts. In fact, God, there's a work you want to do, but it's got to come through a revealing right now for more of you. So I pray, stir 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 we respond to the table because we know there's healing there's a healing work you want to do we pray it released in the name of jesus right now by the power of the holy spirit in the name of jesus there's a restorative work that you want to do we release you holy spirit we say thank you you're right here we receive the work you want to do in jesus mighty name jesus mighty name i'm not going to say amen because the prayer's just begun i release you now come receive communion come receive prayer let's enter into a posture of worship together Thank you for listening to the Banner Church Podcast. We hope this message was impactful for you. Check the episode notes to visit our website, follow us on social media, and subscribe to our podcast. We'll see you again next week.